Good morning. Um, I asked Kyle a little while ago, is this your first time worship assisting in daybreak? He goes, oh yeah. And I, are you nervous? Oh yeah. I said, they're very gracious people, but I've never known anyone to forget and the Lord Jesus Christ. So <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad it happened because now you're, it's all done. Now you're good from this point forward. So <laughs> um, it was really, it's really cool. I, I'm getting to know Dan Gillette a little bit and um, you may not know this about Chris uh, Hanson, but Chris has a very dry wit, and his, his love language is sarcasm. Um, and we meet every week to plan worship services, and Chris, for a decade now, uh, well, first of all, anytime anyone else preaches on a Sunday, when he sees them on a Wednesday, he's like, oh, man, that was really good. Never said a word to me. Not one. Just his way of... And when he does say anything, he goes, you know, my friend Dan Gillette would have said that differently. Well, now I know why they were roommates. But I asked Dan on, Sunday, on, on, on Wednesday, you have, any, you have any ammo? You have any junk? You have any stories on Chris? And he goes, yeah. And he shared a few. So Chris is coming back on Thursday. We got, I'm just, I'm just playing, totally playing. I love Chris Hansen. He's down in Florida right now. Um, uh, Kyle will give some specifics to this uh, in a little while, but um, there'll be a funeral on Friday. Chris will be doing the music, but um, Bill Riggs, granddaughter, Olivia, passed away yesterday morning. Kyle will get the specifics because it's pretty involved, um, but just want you to be aware, uh, and Chris Hansen, is, he's coming back Thursday night from, from a trip to Florida, but the Rigg family really wanted, really wanted Chris to be part of the music because of their long history together, so just an FYI on that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer prayer, and we're going to talk about a very familiar passage in as you hear from me quite often, we go through Gospels, um, one Gospel every year uh, between Epiphany and Easter, but when we're very familiar with a passage, it's easy to think, oh, yep, I know that, I know that, I know that. Um, I'm just going to ask again that you try your best to listen again for the first time, um, because it is a powerful parable, and you probably already know these things, but but the answer, the, the response of the father in this passage to one of his sons, um, rabbis had a pretty, they all had a version of this story, and they all, they all ended that story differently than Jesus did. And what Jesus is saying uh, to the Pharisees is important, but what he's saying to us is also important. So let's pray together. Lord, we bless you. We thank you. We praise you for all that you're doing in the world. I had a you know that I had a Zoom meeting this week with um, pastors from around the country and um, one that's been traveling the world of late, and there is something happening worldwide. There is a move of your spirit, and it looks like it's just starting to, take, to, to catch fire in the northern hemisphere. So we bless you for that. We pray that, we, that you give us eyes to see it so that we can cooperate with the, whatever move of the spirit you may you may be, however you may be moving. Lord, today we're going to hear of the story that's known as the story of the prodigal son, but it is actually the disrespectful sons and a father who just has grace upon grace. So Lord, give us eyes to see it, ears to hear it, and hearts to receive it. And Lord, stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts and speak with my mouth so that we hear your message for us not my message for them. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So, this passage is familiar. 
and Jesus is in a segment. We just we talked last week about he was in that that mode of he knows he's heading up to Jerusalem um, for the passion where he's going to suffer, and he's he's reminding his people. We talked about this last week. He's reminding his people to um, repent. That was the that was the gospel or that was the message of John the baptizer, right? It was a baptism of repentance. And Jesus came, and if you look at the beginning of the Gospels when he starts preaching, it said he went from town to town preaching the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of sins, but repentance is always a piece of that. And one of the things we talked about last week is if God is doing something new, his people should be ready to cooperate. And the thing that he says to each of us is, come what may, no matter what, you, you, we, personally, individually, between us and the Lord, the way to be right with God is to confess and repent, whether that be something seemingly minor or mild, or whether that be something habitual, some, some sin that has a hold on you, God calls us to repent, confess and repent. And then to be assured of the forgiveness that God offers us and assured of the salvation that is a free gift from God through faith. So Jesus is, he, he, he's preparing to go to the cross. And so there's this kind of watershed point, this, this, everything's going to be different from when he decides to start talking about going up to Jerusalem. Um, and so you'll notice that his teaching gets a little bit more intense. Um, and, and his dealings with people is a little bit more focused. There might be an edge to it. And so in Luke chapter 15, you'll see three parables of lost something. So you've got the parable of the lost sheep. You've got the parable of the lost coin. And Jesus is in communication at this point. He's talking, his disciples, all of his followers, but there are Pharisees. And I'll just remind you what a Pharisee is. Um, If you go back into the early to mid-90s, in our culture, there was a movement called Promise Keepers. Now, I went to two of those big rallies down in Indianapolis. I have a friend that lives um, down in Zionsville, so I'm camping on on his back deck. I was able to bring my father there, who, who was not a follower of Jesus at the time, and my, one of my brothers, who was just, just touching on his faith journey um, and saw transformational things. I saw white men hugging black men and black men seeking out white men, and that was a thing that was a big part of Promise Keepers is racial reconciliation. I saw my dad hug some—my dad's from South— He's with the Lord now, but he was from South Central Georgia during all the 60s riots and all that stuff and that, that, whole, um, that whole civil rights movement in the 60s in Albany, Georgia, which is where my dad's from. And yes, it's Albany, not Albany or Albany. That's, uh, that's the East Coast, Albany. Albany, Georgia, and, and it, it was ugly. And if I hear, if I remember some of the things my grandma said, um, I had a, a friend in eighth grade, he came over to my house every day for lunch. I lived right across the street from the middle school in East Grand Rapids. My friend Derek Smith, um, he would come over for lunch, and it, ne- it never crossed my mind. Whenever Derek was in my house, my grandma was on a different floor. It never crossed my mind. It was because uh, Derek had a different color skin than I do. Never, n- never crossed my mind. And we're not going to talk specifically about racial stuff in this, but there's this thing that that the promise keepers was, that movement was trying to communicate that men need to be men. 
They need to keep their promises that they made at their wedding. They need to, they need to be faithful to their spouses. They need to, be, uh, they need to give blessings to their, to their sons and to their daughters. There was a wonderful moment in there. They said, I'm sitting, and my dad is sitting right behind me, and they, 65,000 men in this arena, and they said, any man, so my dad and I had, they, they had asked just 10 minutes before, 10 or 20 minutes before, any fathers and sons here together, please stand up. We want to bless you. And so my brother Troy and I and my dad, we stand up. Now, I had brought my dad, but the assumption was that my dad, that the father had brought the sons. And we stood up and everyone gathered around and prayed for us. And it was just this beautiful moment. But this is still back in a time when my dad and I were, were kind of at odds. And of course, I wanted him to change to get better, to do better, um, to be the dad I wanted him to be instead of the man God had called him to be. So a lot of that's on me. But about 15, 10 or 20 minutes later, the guy said, now, anyone who's here that grew up without a father, we want you to stand up. So we can offer a fatherly blessing to you. Now, I just stood up with my dad as coming here with father and son, but I did grow up without a father. And my dad's sitting right behind me in, in the bleachers. We're way up in the, in the, I think it was called the RCI Arena at that time. And I'm like, what do I do? My brother-in-law, Chris Mitchell's right here. He knows my story. He has a similar story. And I'm looking over at him. He goes, I don't, I don't know. And my dad from behind reached under my armpits and had me stand. It was a beautiful moment um, of him acknowledging what he had missed. And the reason I bring this up, it has nothing to do specifically with the story, but the Pharisees of their day believed that they were the promise keepers of the 1990s, that they were the people that were hearing the word of God, uh, ingesting it and saying, this is how we should live. We should live faithful to our spouses. We should live faithful to the scriptures. We should be encouragers in our churches. We should pray for our pastors. We should encourage our sons and daughters to go off on the mission field. We should, we should see another man as if he's a man and not as if he's someone that would be our enemy. God wanted, in that particular movement, wanted men to be God-fearing and God-faithful men. I know we, we paint a picture of the Pharisees. We Sometimes we think that, that the Pharisees are in the New Testament so that we know who we're supposed to hate. But it's not true. They believed, now they were wrong, but they believed that they had this right. You had the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, they kind of stayed in their heads, but the Pharisees, they were the ones that took the law of God, the word of God, the, the, all, the, um, all the background uh, stuff that you would get from, from, from being faithful and all the, the rules of the, of the Pharisees and the rabbinic culture, all of those things, they tried to put into practice and to help everyday people, everyday Jewish faithful people to know how to be faithful. And so they created rules. They created regulations. So this is how a Jewish person separates themselves from the others, and this is how you're faithful to God. In, in a way, this is how you earn God's favor, or this is how you stay in God's favor. So when Jesus is, 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 is bumping up against, I was about to say knocking heads with, and that it got worse than that. They killed him. But but when he, was, when he was bumping heads with these, with these guys, it was because they believed that he was wrong. And he believed that they were wrong. They had the right heart, but they didn't have the right practice. Or better yet, they might have had all the right practices, but their hearts had been hardened. And so these lost sheep, they wanted to know why he's hanging out with sinners. And so this, this law, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, he's trying to say to them, folks, you would do this if this. That's what I'm doing. And then he gives this, this parable. The parable 
here in, in the NIV, it's called the parable of the lost son, but it's not just one lost son. And that's, that's a piece we need to see. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of your estate. And just so you know, I know that not most of you are going back and picking up your, your Greek New Testament and trying to figure out what all these words mean. But there's something very specific about give me my share of your estate. If the word there is usia, and it means not just your belongings, but give me your essence. Give me what makes you, you. And there was a, in, in the book of Sirach, which is kind of rabbinic law and rules. I, I, I was just looking here. I don't, I didn't, for some reason I printed the page, but it's not in my Bible here. Um, I want to say Sirach chapter 13, it might be 33. But they say in there, if someone asks you for something that's part of your essence, that part of your estate, don't give it to them. Because if you do, later, you may have to come back and ask for it back. So it's a very dishonorable thing, not only to give something before you're gone, because you might be in need later, and that would be humiliating to have to go back, but, but for someone to ask you for, your, for their portion or a portion of your estate is saying this, you are dead to me. So this son, and this is a parable, it's just a story that Jesus tells, and all rabbis kind of had a version of this, or most rabbis had a version of this story. But when he says to, when the younger son says to his dad, give me my share of your estate, he's saying, in my eyes, you're dead, I want what's coming to me. And you probably already know this, but um, if, you had, if you had just two sons, the oldest son got two-thirds of the inheritance, the younger son got one-third of the inheritance, one-third of everything that, that, his, that his father owned. If you have more sons, the oldest gets a double portion, everybody else it gets divided accordingly. So when this son, this younger son says, give me your share of the estate, he's saying, you're dead to me, and I want, I want what's yours, and I want to make it mine. So he divided his property between them. There's a key phrase right there. He didn't just give the younger son his part, he gave the older his not long after that, I think that would be awkward. I know this is a story. And I was in a Bible study uh, about a year ago um, and with, with a bunch of the pastors, people in ministry, and just local people. I wasn't leading it, which is wonderful. Um, but we had this discussion on what if there were a third brother? What would his responses be? Um, and one of the things that came up in the conversation was uh, not long after that, the younger, the, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered as well in wild living. But how awkward would that be? Dad, you're dead to me. Give me what, what's going to be mine one day. And Dad goes, okay. I mean, first of all, one of my kids asked that. It's not going to be, how can I help? Well, you want me dead? But... It says that not long after that, that means he stuck around for a while. How do you think those conversations went around the dinner table? You think brother to brother, they were like, dude, way to go. Good idea. Let's get out of here. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent every, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields 
to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, I'm sure you're aware of this, but according to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, um, pigs, very unclean animals to Jews. It is bad enough that you would be around pigs. It's worse that you're in the middle of it with pigs and that you would want to eat something that only pigs would eat. This man, he's, he's wasted everything. He's, he's, he's in famine. He's, he's, he's starving and he's humiliated. And all of those friends that all that money bought are gone. When he came to his senses, when he repented, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, I'm going to read this the way other rabbis would tell it. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, went back inside, shut the door, and sent a servant to the gate to say, you're no longer my son. But that's not what the father in this story does. The father in this story, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, I want you to picture this for a second. I was, I've thought about wearing my robe this morning just for this picture, but Jewish men, patriarchs, don't run. It's undignified. But his dad had been watching. Now, again, story, but this is the picture that all of these Pharisees have in their head when Jesus is telling this story. That word had gotten that he's coming back because people have seen him traveling because he doesn't have any money. He's not on a donkey. He's not on a cart. He's walking. So he's coming back. And there are people, travelers here and there, and they know everybody in the region. So word, I'm sure, has gotten back that I thought we saw your son. He looks really skinny and he doesn't look well kept and he really smells kind of bad, but it looks like your boy, the one that wanted you dead. So the father's watching and watching and watching. And one day when he sees him come across down the lane, he pulls up his robe, shows his, remember, you know how it gets when we get older men? I don't think they wore socks back then, but you know, when you wear the dress socks up to here all the time, and when you get to a certain age of which I am, there's no hair from here down. You know how they go? Okay. Oh, just me. Got it. Um, looks really weird in sandals. Um, but so he, he picks up his robe and he runs. He does an undignified thing by going to this son who wished him dead. And he puts his arms around him and he kisses him. And his son, he's been rehearsing for days or weeks. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Father won't even let him finish his little spiel. This, but the father said to his servants, not even paying attention to his son right here, quick, Bring the best robe and put, a, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for his, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So his son, the wayward, the one that left, the one that squandered, the one that, that and we'll find out in a minute that some of his money was used, hmm, not in good ways. But his son was in, it was in famine, and now he's in feast. He was in misery, and he's now been shown mercy. That is a glorious story. Unless you've been doing all the right things. 
unless you have been the promise keeper, unless you have been faithful to your wife or husband or children or your boss, to your God. If you've been giving your 10% and you've been showing up and you've been worshiping God and you've been reading your, your Bible devotionally, you've been praying, and you've even been praying for this person in your family that is, that is lost. You're hoping to God that one day that person will come to their senses and come back into the fold. And then they do. And Jesus is saying here, this is how we should receive sinners who come home. This is how those who repent, how God sees them. And this is how we as Christians should see the same, should act the same way to people who were lost and are now found, who were in misery and now find mercy, who were in famine and now we throw them a feast. Meanwhile, the, the older son was in the field, and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf and he has, he has, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, doesn't say my brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him? Can we, we, we can see that this could be any of us, can't we? I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm not saying that this is what you do, but this would be, this would be easy, in fact, from the, Pharisa the Pharisaical perspective, these, these first century promise keepers, once that young man said, Dad, you're dead to me, the whole family considered that son no longer part of the family, and he's, he's dead. They probably even did what they call sitting, again, it's a story, but probably did, they probably sat Shiva, which is their, their I think it's seven days of grieving when, when they lose someone. So this young man is dead to them because he said, Dad, you're dead to me. So the brother is actually doing what's right. And so the young man, the one who squandered the wealth, he's the sinners in the area. He's the Jewish people that are unfaithful. He's the pagan people that don't yet know. He's the, the, the lawbreakers, not the Mosaic law keepers. And the father is God. And the, younger or the older brother is us, the Pharisees, the ones who are trying to be faithful day to day, hour by hour. But Jesus is not, he's not, he, he's, he doesn't accuse this young man, but he does show the hardened heart. This son of yours not this brother of mine. Now think about all the times that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the, keepers of the, uh, the teachers of the law came to Jesus when he's teaching people or he heals someone or he's having lunch with Levi, the tax collector. And they want to know, why, is your, why, did, why does your rabbi hang out with sinners? Doesn't he, or the, 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 woman, uh, the woman who had the sick daughter, if he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman this is. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Jesus is communicating, 
I'm here to celebrate when people understand who God is and what he has for them, that he has mercy over their misery. And when they confess and they repent, this is something worth celebrating. He's saying to the Pharisees, why are you not doing the same? This brother says, this son of yours. And then the father's answer, his response, and I love how, how Luke leaves it. I'm sure Jesus left it. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. Well, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. We don't find out if the brother went back in. We don't find out if the brother fell to the knees of his father and pleaded for forgiveness for the attitude, the hardness of heart that he had toward his brother, or at least toward his father's son. Because Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the promise keepers of the first century. He's saying to them, how you respond to the people that I am interacting with is crucial. And there's another piece of this older brother that, that I think is worth at least talking about for a minute. He believed truly, again, parable, but everyone can read that in. I have, all these years I have slaved for you and you've given me and obeyed all your orders. So I've been a faithful son. I've done all the things required of me and you've never once given me even a goat so that I could have a party with my friends. So his father owes him his father is indebted to him because he's been faithful. And if we, those of us who have children, usually there's one that is overachiever, or not, not usually, but often there's a, the overachiever, the firstborn that they, they, they get upset if they get a B and, 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 and they're ultra responsible. And then you get number two or number three and they're like, that doesn't work for me. And so they're a little bit more free spirited. And so the, often you've got the, 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 quote unquote good one, and they have these little talks between themselves, like, oh, you're, you're always perfect, middle of them is perfect, blah, 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 blah. but there's the one that gets all, that, that no one has to worry about. They don't really get kudos that often because we kind of expect A's from you. We kind of expect responsibility from you. We know that you're going to find a job. We know that you're probably going to save up and buy your own car, but the other, always, well, can't you be more like your brother? Can't you be more like your sister? Why is it so hard for you? And then this one turns around, and everybody goes, oh, we're so glad. And this one's like, what am I? You can see how it can happen. But folks, this is a parable of God and two different types of people. One did everything wrong until a moment. And then he did everything right. He humbled himself. He was humiliated, which he did to himself. But he humbled himself, he came to his senses, he hit bottom, and he says, I'm going back and asking for mercy. I don't even, I'm not even looking to be a son, I'll just be a slave to my dad. Everything wrong, one thing right, the father blesses him. The other son does everything right, outwardly. And everything wrong, inwardly. This is the difference between the law and grace. The law can change behavior. 
It can dictate behavior. It can, these are all the right things that you're supposed to do. We all know what it looks like in Western Michigan to be, quote unquote, which I hate this term, good Christians. The, you go to the right kind of places, you say the right kind of things, you vote the right way, you hang out with the right people, you don't hang out with the wrong people, and, everyone, and you go to church on Sunday, and um, you, some of you carry your Bibles in, and at least when they do, someone does see it, there's marks in it. So we all know what's expected of us. That's the law. Grace changes the heart. So which one of these brothers, according to this story, how it ends has a redeemed and transformed heart? The one who did everything right or the one who did everything wrong? God is not in your debt. No matter how good you've been, no matter how well you've done, no matter how faithful you've been, you are entitled to the kingdom of God. It is at your disposal right now. Why did this brother, this older son, not ever have a goat to celebrate with his friends? Never asked. You'd think his father would go, how dare you ask me for one of my precious goats? Not according to the heart of the man in this story. So I'm just asking the question. Do you have times that you feel that God owes you something? to alleviate your suffering, to make life a little bit easier, to just make you a little happier. Because he's not in your debt. You're in his. God's riches at Christ's expense. You got what you do not deserve, and you didn't get what you do deserve. It's a glorious thing. So when you see, if, when you, and we all know people, I'm one of them, someone who, as a Christian, went off and, quote, unquote, built a testimony. My college years, I mean, the fact that Chris Peters would ever serve here, when we were in college together, I knew me in college. He knew me in college. Rita knew me in college. One son built a testimony the other should have been testifying all along to the goodness of his father, not having grievance against the goodness of his father. This is very similar to Job. When he, God said, go to Nineveh, he goes, no, he heads off to Tarshish, shipwreck. All right, they, they throw him off. Um, he gets in the fish, he goes off, and then he has, he has multiple days, maybe weeks walk up to Tarshish from the, from the Gulf of, uh, from the from, uh, Persian Gulf. Um, and he proclaims the good news, and everybody, the whole, the whole, all of Nineveh repents. And then Job is angry with God. He's basically shaking his fist. I knew you were going to be merciful. I knew you were going to be gracious. I knew you had a heart for these people. And God's like, you're upset with me? Because I love these people, and I want to, their hearts to turn to me? I said Job. I meant Jonah. It's the second time since 10 years that I've done that here. <laughs> I'm guessing you know the story. Let us not be Jonah, and let us not be the older brother. And if you are the younger right now, might not be able to see it outwardly, but you know what's going on inwardly, come to your senses, confess it, repent of it, come back to your father. He's waiting, 
He will run to you. He will embrace you. And there will be an angelic party in heaven because you have come back into the fold. And if you're the older brother, if we're the Pharisee, not intentionally but unintentionally, the same response is required. Come to your senses. Confess it to God. Repent of it. And he's waiting there with open arms to embrace you and go, I know, it's easy. It's easy to get heart at heart. But my heart is soft. My burden is light. And I rejoice with lost being found. So join me in the celebration. He's not in your debt. We're in his. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you and praise you and thank you for who you are. Truly, Lord, for who you are. What are we that you are mindful of us? Why would you care enough to give us your written word that will last until you return? Why would you give us stories like this? Why do you care what we do? But you do. And you don't just care what we do, you care who we are. And you came to show us who we are is whose we are. So Lord, help us be more the people that we claim to be. Merciful and thankful and confessing and repenting, picking the boulder out of our own eye and before we ever look at the speck of another. Lord, help us be humble in your sight. We are in your debt, and we bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.